I was playing fancy dress every week. You know, I was dressing up like a punk on a Monday. Like <laughs> Tuesday, I was dressing like a twink. <laughs> Wednesday, I was dressing like an art student. It was like just trying to find where I fit in. Hello, I'm Kay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created there, and the people that they used to know. So, you know, I was just thinking that we haven't had a really rambly, all-over-the-shop conversation on this show for quite some time now. And the reason that I was thinking about that is because Well, this week we've got ourselves a rambly, all-over-the-shop conversation. Hmm. But that is not a bad thing. In fact, I loved this conversation that I had with John, who is the man behind the drag character Taylor Trash. And Taylor is the host of the drag competition web series, The Gold Rush, which is just about to launch its third season on YouTube. So... I thought, well, this is a good time to sit down and learn all about one of Taylor's most treasured lost spaces, which is London's The Ghetto. Only it didn't quite go according to plan, and uh, we ramble for a good portion of this episode. But I promise it is all good stuff, because we get to learn all about John's coming out to his dad, not once, but twice, his early days of flirting with drag and figuring out who he was in the world, and we also learn why community is so important to him. But I do need to say there are a few moments in this episode where I am a bit like, okay, shut up, we're moving on. So firstly, apologies to Taylor that I didn't gently guide the conversation as I had planned and apologies to you as the listener for not getting to hear the entirety of Taylor's stories in all instances. I'm sorry. Oh, and I want to give a quick shout out to both Ezra and Emil who have been leaving me really lovely messages through the Spotify app this week. Frustratingly, I'm not able to respond to you in the app, so I am doing it here. Thank you so much, and I look forward to continuing to talk to both of you. Right, let's get into it. I find really fascinating when you're a performer is the way that people bypass all of the getting to know you stage and go straight into the like I'm just going to tell you everything about myself and then like (laughs) how to deal with that like because in lots of ways I'm totally cool with that because I hate small talk so it's nice when this the stranger comes up to me and says oh yeah my dad died last year and I'm still processing it because I can deal with that. I'm like, okay, well, let's find out about this. Let's talk about this. What support are you getting? Like, how can we build a plan around this? But when someone's like, oh, yeah, what school did you go to? I'm like, oh. Are you wanting those conversations with uh, substance? Yeah, yeah. But it can be a bit strange when you're in a bar or a nightclub <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> absolutely oh yeah so many times that that happens like people will open up to you you're almost like a, a in drag specifically it's almost like this sort of shining beacon in the dark of the bar and then people come over and they talk to you and then yeah I feel like in some ways as well because you're wearing like a a character or a mask in some way when you're dressed up, Mm. maybe people feel like they're not going to be judged because you're not really a real person. You're sort of like artificial already. It's almost like talking to a, like a robot or something that doesn't really exist. Yeah. But I don't go up to men wearing gimp suits in sex clubs and start telling them all my secrets. (laughs) But then I guess that's because that's still seen as them, I guess. When you're, is it? I can't see their face. <laughs> I guess, but like, I mean, maybe you're there for a different reason. I mean, I, I, I don't, don't see many men in gimp suits, though. I'm, it was just a throwaway joke. I'm sorry, you don't need to. Justify. No, but for real, though, but it, it's the environment that you're in. Yeah, potentially. When you're in a club, 
you're you're there to maybe dance and drink and pick someone up and take them somewhere yeah, else. Yeah. Whereas if you're in a place with someone in a gimp suit, you know that you're there to maybe like do something else. But doesn't <laughs> that just support my argument? Like you're going to a nightclub to forget about your woes and have a good time. Drag queens represent like this frivolity and fun and excitement. So why would you go up to them and be like, by the way, just got to tell you this? Well, do you know, they, they always say the whole thing about drinking and then oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there is that, loose guess. lips and all yeah. that. So I wonder if perhaps that's what happens. And you know, when you, when you get a bit drunk... And I, in my past, <laughs> I have. You just sort of say whatever's on your subconscious mind sometimes. I think that that can... Especially if the cup is quite full for you already, and then you're dropping more bits into it, it's going to overflow. And you may be able to carry the cup around uh, and not make any spillage. What cup? <laughs> your, uh, your proverbial cup. <laughs> yes, yeah, this metaphysical cup, if that's even the right word. <laughs> Mine's a mug. <laughs> feels more homely but then do you think <laughs> that you represent some kind of wise motherly figure to them i don't know i, I couldn't say you're not giving me those vibes to be honest right <laughs> she's not coming across as wise she's definitely not motherly like oh i never said that <laughs> well do you know it's funny because like people have referred to me as like the mother of east london because of the drag competition and because ah. of, I do have quite a strong maternal instinct. Like I'm always very, very supportive of people that want to start performing. I've always been involved in the community since I came out at like 19 and was going to like all those <gasps> bars and clubs. Are you taking us on to the topic of today's conversation? Well, maybe. Just expertly driving us there. Amazing. Love <laughs> a nice little segue. Yeah, but you know, when you're out for such a long time, and I do care about the community deeply. Maybe that is what happens. I would never go out there and be like introducing myself and be like, oh yeah, I'm Taylor Trash. I'm the mother of East London because it's such a ridiculous thing to say because there's so many other people that I would give that title to. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's not a, a, a title or honour that you can give to yourself. It's something that mm -mm. people bestow upon you. But um, branding, pretty good branding, right? It's quite cute, but I know that there would be some other bitches that would be up there going, oh, really? Who does she think she is? Who yeah. does she fucking think she is? <laughs> absolutely. She'd be like, you ain't my mother. <laughs> like, no, I'm absolutely not your mother, bitch. Never. <laughs> uh, it's more like an intergenerational, intertwined network of family members, right? Oh, that's where drag families come from. I don't know. This... Anyway, I'm just pointing out the obvious. So no, this is I want to pick up on something that you've just said which is that you care about the community. What do you mean by that? I guess I've always been very involved in what's going on and that stemmed from, I suppose, wanting to find a group of people who would accept me for who I am. Uh, so you're just being selfish then, is that <laughs> absolutely absolutely because let's face it all actions are rooted in the self in some way sorry i don't know why i'm picking on you today just thank you for rolling with it no way it's good it's so good i don't mind we're good at volleying now um i don't know like you know growing up as a as a gay child not really feeling that accepted by my family yeah. at that time you know that sort of led me to seek out places and people that i could feel a little bit more at home at so i've do feel this sort of like strong protective feeling towards the community and wanting to preserve that so that when other people come out or enter it they got this maybe not the same experience mm. but they've got positive experiences from the community and that doesn't just extend to like men who are like white and cisgendered yeah. Gays. Yeah. <laughs> because, yes, I want to make sure that all of those people have a good experience, but there's also a responsibility to think outside the box. And I know that this is a, it's a real hot potato for a lot of people at the minute, isn't it? Because the mainstream are really trying to uh, fuck with Pass us all. and each other. Yeah, yeah. So it's about making sure that everybody feels welcome and everybody feels that they've got a home. And the competition that I run really focuses on giving queer people who want to perform a stage to perform on and i'm like i am not responsible if you are shit 
That is on you. But I will give you the goddamn stage if you want it and you try it out and you practice the hell out of it until you feel like you're good and an audience responds to you. Because if that's what you want to do to express yourself, you should have it. You know, you shouldn't feel embarrassed or shy away from that. And I think that's such a great thing about the community and drag particularly to, to be able to allow people to have that. Mm. And I guess that's why I'm so like obsessed with this idea of community. Because I say it's an idea because not a lot of other people you know, show it. <laughs> now, just because I'm being a bit of a prick, I'm just like diving into the really impossible to answer questions immediately. That's okay. What do you mean by community? My idea of community <laughs> is when everybody comes together and is supportive of one another and is nice to but one another. But who's everybody? Are we excluding anyone? I'm excluding all of the outside world apart from this small little queer <laughs> cosmos that I am living in. Well, no, I don't want to say that either because, you know, I just think that that extends to everybody. The sense of community should be everyone. But, but in order for us to feel part of something, do, do we not have to exclude some people? Uh, I think that if we create, if we create, like, here we go, buzzwords, safe spaces for one another... <laughs> We should be able to invite people into them 100%, but they should know how to conduct themselves and behave in those spaces. Just because they're a dominant force outside of that minority space doesn't mean that they have the right to walk around like they own it. Like, I got invited to a Vogue ball, and um, I was literally like, no one made me feel like it, but I was very conscious of myself in that space. I was like, right, okay, I am like a white man, a man? I know, right? <laughs> I know. Don't tell nobody. And obviously, uh, well, I say obviously, but I am cisgendered. So I, you know, I was very aware of, of me being in that space and taking up space in it. So I made mm. sure that I still enjoyed it, but I was like, oh, I better stand out of the way so that other people can see the categories and whatever. I don't want to be blocking people's views. I don't want to be that person. You know, maybe I was over the top and I was agonising over it a little bit, but it was that level of respect that I have in other spaces that I think would be nice of others to to share mm, mm, mm. in ours, I say. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's not tourism. It's real, the real world. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It's like walking into someone's house and just being like, you know. Oh, I do that, though. <laughs> Rub your finger along for dust and go like, oh, when was the last time you cleaned up in it? I wouldn't put the couch there. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The feng shui is off, girl. Like, what even is this? <laughs> right. Yeah, this thing about community, I do struggle with it because I feel like there is no one definition of it. And so sometimes we're talking, and not we as in you and me, but we as in the community. The community? A collective whole, yeah. A collective whole. That's a good grinder profile name. Um, it the, is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we're talking at cross purposes because we have different understanding of what we are talking about when we're talking about community. And I'm kind of on the same tip as you as like, yeah, sure, everyone should be invited in. But I also understand that that's a bit too idealistic. Yeah, it is. Maybe I am an idealistic dreamer which is maybe why i often find myself quite frustrated at the world when things aren't going how i imagine they should oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the annoying thing about being an adult right <laughs> so shall we go back to you talked about it before and then i was like ah oh, let's not worry about that let shall we go yeah. back to talking about you as a 19 year old yes going out on the scene for the first time first of all i want to say and this is one of these questions that you're not actually going to be able to answer because you don't have any perspective on it. But you grew up in London. Yes. You are a Londoner. Yes. So it's fascinating to me because you have this whole other <laughs> experience. Like you're not one of those queer kids who is like, I'm going to go to the big city and everyone's going to understand me because you were already here. Yes. So growing up in London... And then having inklings, which I'm assuming you had, of like, oh, potentially heterosexuality is not the path I'm on. <laughs> yes. Were you like, and that's fine because I have all these examples of queer people out in London, or was it still that kind of harrowing, self-reflective, I'm not going to tell anyone, I'm just going to run away at some point kind oh, of journey? Oh, gosh, well... 
I didn't come out until I was 19 and I went to university and I met somebody else who was gay and other gay people at university actually and I sort of got this idea that maybe I was like them mm. and then a girl that I was friends with at uni introduced me to her gay friend <gasps> wait, and... wait 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 so just let's back up so like in yeah. high school then were you like yep strident heterosexual no 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 no, no. I wasn't anything Everyone used to bully me all the time and say, oh, you're a girl, you're a gay, whatever, a batty man, blah, 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 all these useless, horrid, derogatory terms. Uh-huh. And I just went, I just sucked into myself. I wasn't very outward. I'd just become quite an insular person. Like, I used to just sit at home and play video games. That was my life. Ah, like, okay. So you just didn't entertain the idea that you might be gay, like everyone was saying? No. No idea. No, I, no concept of what that was because... At the time, like, gayness, for, well, for me growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was something that was really, like, heavily frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah, like, it was just really crushing. And even the gay scene, I think, at the time was really toxic. Icky. I think it was hugely toxic. Like, toxic masculinity. You know, the idea of doing drag when I was 19, oh, I wish I had a, a stronger backbone and I could have done that mm, at that time mm. because I think how, how much more beautiful <laughs> she would be <laughs> with 20 years of makeup skills behind her <laughs> but like here I am stuck as I am <laughs> with only like eight not to not to go off topic but it's just crazy how back then there wasn't really anything I didn't really know how to navigate it so I was going out with like these friends of mine and just I mean I actually the first venue that I ever went so to wait 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 no no we're not there yet. Am I jumping? <laughs> but so this then in high school, you were just a, like a sexless being. You were just yeah. nothing. And then you got to university and you met another queer person. Yes. And that's when you started to go, oh. I was like, I'm like these people. Like everyone's saying that. Maybe I am one of them. Maybe I'm not straight. Because I often would think, well, I would question why girls would want to just be friends with me. Because I wasn't aware of myself at all. Uh-huh. I didn't think anything that I was doing was particularly gay or whatever. Yeah. But I've always been super effeminate. Yeah. So I couldn't really get my head around the idea of why every girl that I would talk to that I would think was pretty or whatever would not be interested in me at all. It was always like, boom, friend zone. You know, but because you wanted something romantic to happen, or you just thought that that was expected. Of? Well, I kind of think that I wanted it to happen because that's what was expected of me. Yeah. When you're yeah. growing up in the heteronormative society, that's what you do. You sort of push yourself through these. Well, at least I did. I pushed myself through all these types of hoops, thinking that that's who who I was yeah. and who I should have been. Isn't and... that fascinating, though, that you're like? And and sorry, I'm projecting here. So absolutely correct me if I'm wrong. But isn't it fascinating when it's like, well, I'm not sexually interested in you, but why aren't you sexually interested in me? <laughs> <laughs> but then, even then, I wasn't like even thinking about it in a sexualized way. Oh, you just wanted like romance and flowers and kisses and yes, boring. yes, boring. I mean, it's very much who I am. Already. Around, to be honest <laughs> but yeah i think that's a, a reason why i actually struggle to even meet guys actually you know for a long time <laughs> because you thought they just wanted to do the dirty god why did i say do the dirty who am i <laughs> i just was interested in um i didn't even think about sex it's so crazy and now i'm like a literal rampant hornbag <laughs> and like you need to put that on a t-shirt by the way just (laughs) you know i think that's what happened i had this huge like sexual awakening and was just like everything that i do is going to be completely hyper sexualized now and and that's that's sort of who i've become (laughs) so you were afraid of men's because you just wanted romance from them is that what you're saying yeah and you thought they weren't capable of giving you romance? No, nobody wanted to. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> because they were only interested in a hump and dump. In your you know? body. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> she quickly learn. <laughs> and that, so that was my experience as well, that I was like, I'm going to show the world that I'm lovable by having someone fall in love with me. And then we're going to uh-huh. settle down and be together forever. And that'll prove to everyone how I am valuable and what worth I bring to the world, which 
spoiler alert, is a completely wrong way of approaching life. But (laughs) I hear from other people as well that they had that same thing, that they were like, I'm going to prove something by falling in love. So why did none of us meet each other? And why was everyone just meeting these people that wanted to have sex and then piss off? I don't know. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I don't know how that could have happened. I guess it's almost like we must have been like one in 30 people or something. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? The odds must have been so heavily stacked against this. Or people looked at us and were actually like, oh, you might be looking for a romance, but you're not my type. Do you know that kind of thing? All those little factors. (laughs) Yeah, or everyone was looking for that, but other people had more elastic morals in the zone. So they'd meet you and be like, no, you're not going to be my romantic partner, but I can still find (laughs) value in you. Now get on your knees. That's it. Me and, my, me and my partner, we talk about this as well. Like people who are born heterosexual, they grow up and they are surrounded by images that are sort of like positive reinforcements of who they are in the media. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. And I think in some ways, if you come out at like 20 years old, you're going to act like you're 15. Yeah. Yeah. I feel personally for myself. Yeah, I think I was like that, you know. I think maybe now I've leveled off <laughs> at 38. <laughs> I've sort of leveled off that far. I don't feel like I was as bad, but I know that when I was like 21 years old, I was just like a mess. Like I'd have probably been mentally and emotionally like a straight 16 year old, probably. Mm. And I know some of my friends felt like that too. Like we've almost were a little bit stunted. We were behind everybody else. Yeah. Emotionally or in our own growth and our own experiences, especially in sexual experiences. But yeah, like I, like I said before, like you know, when I was like nineteen, I could I don't think Grinder even existed. But even when it did, and I discovered it by searching "gay" on Aww. Apple Aww. app once when I had an iPhone 3G, <laughs> right? When I did that, I remember. Um, but then it was crazy because it was showing me that there were people that were like five hundred meters away from me. Mm. I was literally like. You mean to tell me there's been these homosexuals around me all this time? Yeah, I'm like, there are gay people in Edmonton? I was like, what? My mind was blown. And then I would talk to them, and then I would meet them and make friends with them. And it was just so, so weird to me that that, that existed. It was all underground, it felt. Mm. It felt very, like, undercover to me, like, you know. And, yeah, just so crazy how that's changed so much. It's, you know, I think people around today are a lot, around today (laughs) they're a lot more fortunate because they don't have the sort of like toxic masculinity that i feel like we Mm, had i think they do but maybe not as much oh my god yeah maybe they're shown alternatives now but i don't think toxic masculinity is going anywhere but i feel like in the community in like amongst like the the queer community i don't feel like it's looked down upon it's it's frowned upon it is it's spoken openly and ridiculed in bars and in cabaret shows. I know that much. Yeah, but it's still idolised as well. By few. Whereas I feel like back in the day it was yeah, yeah. It saturated. Was the aspiration. Oh, my God. If you were a femme, you were out. You were outcast. Like I couldn't even imagine doing drag back then. The idea of it, you'd be like, no one's ever going to want me. So all the girls that were sort of like, mm. actually, people like... Vicky Vivacious, Bag of Chips, Tanya Hyde. I remember when they were on the cover of Boys Magazine, it's like, the new generation of drag in Soho. I remember looking at them and thinking, fucking hell, you girls are brave because, like, you know, like, who's going to want you now because you're so ultra femme, which is such a crazy thing to think. But that's what it was like at that time. So let's stay on this then. And we have to get back to you being at university at some point, but let's stay on this for the time being. Sorry for being bussy. That's okay. So you came to drag late. Well, I was like 30. Who's judging what's late and what's not? But anyway, so you came to drag at around 30 and you put Mm. it off before then. When do you think you had your first inkling that like, hmm? Ever since I was a child, funnily enough. As like maybe like four I remember being at like my grandparents' house and seeing like on a Sunday, there'd be like some kind of like film on BBC Two or whatever and it would be like a Marilyn Monroe film and I remember being just absolutely obsessed with her, just watching her like walking and I couldn't take my eyes off of this woman who was just like perfection to me, like high glamour and just being obsessed with it. Even like really enjoying um, 
Kenny Everett, who is actually one of my drag inspirations, he's like a 1980s comedian, and watching him on television and as a, an openly gay performer, um, and it, it was very rare for me to see any of that, actually, because as soon as it would come on, my mum might be watching it, but my dad would be like, oh, fuck, we're watching this shit, and turns it off straight away. So I'd never really be exposed to too much sort of, like, gay media. But, uh, you know, uh, Lily Savage, Dame Edna... I, I don't know, I just saw them and I always just thought, I loved dressing up. I used to love all of that. It was kind of leading me to it, but the sort of feeling of the toxic masculinity that was around it sort of made me feel like I couldn't go into that. And so you just thought, and this is me putting words in your mouth, that you wouldn't be desirable to anyone yeah. if you were a drag queen. Yeah, there was that. And I was still looking for that whole romance thing. But then also... The friend of mine who I was introduced to through the girl at university, they told me that they had started going out to um, tea girl nights. Uh You know, they were actually beginning their journey as a trans woman. And back then I was like, oh my God, well, I'll come with you. You know, if you need some like moral support, I'll come. And I sort of treated it as a kind of like an opportunity to explore that side of myself, I guess. I shaved my beard, I shaved my arms. I literally was like dressing up to look like the most kind of like, here we go, passable mm-hmm. idea of, of what a, a woman Well, you didn't is. say fishy, so that's good. Oh, please. <laughs> there, there was definitely something fishy about me and it was not that. It was just like, she looked like something else, <laughs> honestly. But I was experimenting with that and exploring that side of myself even before I'd started drag. It was like, yeah, in some ways I was like going because I wanted to be there and be a support for my friend and have a girl's night out with her and look after her and be there for her in those moments. But also I wanted to sort of explore it for myself too mm. because I was like, is this who I am as well? And trying to figure that out for myself. And yeah, I, I'm not trans. I had a moment where I thought I probably was, but I'm, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of was like, oh, <laughs> drag maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's drag. And I couldn't explore it, really. I was, like, doing all of this stuff in secret because I lived at home until I was 30. I'd actually... What? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a really crazy story. I wanted to move out at 20. My mum and dad said, why would you pay someone else's mortgage for them? They were like, why don't you and your sister save up together and buy a house? So me and my sister saved for 10 years together and then bought the flat that I'm in. But I didn't move out of home until I was 30. (gasps) So, like, there were so many things that I couldn't do and... You know, and uh, I told my parents that I was, like, gay at 19. My dad decided to completely shut down and ignore that that was the case. And I had to actually tell him again last year. <gasps> so, like, another 19 years after the fact that that's still who I am. <laughs> he couldn't. And, and even now, even after all of that heartache that we went through again, he still hasn't got it. He still thinks that I'm going to find a, a woman and marry and have children and all this so he's, he's in a very deep level of denial so so we're in very many layers of this conversation but i want to stay here yeah that's okay <laughs> and and so when you said at 19 then was it like a conversation or was it like a passing thing and then he didn't want to talk about it at that time so i met my friend at university and started going out with them mm-hmm. And then I started to build up a network of people around me and I started coming out to people gradually around me. Yeah. I have always been very close to my sister and I was like, I need to build like a safety net around me so I can talk to Louise and say, okay, Louise, like this is who I am and I need, and I need to tell you this. And then once I'd got her on board, I was like, okay, I need to tell mum and dad. And then it just got too much for me. We used to go to a club night called Pop Stars every Friday and we would all meet at the top of the road from where I live to, to have a drink in the Weatherspoons. <laughs> and I drank far too much in the Weatherspoons waiting for everybody to turn up one night and was so drunk they took me back home. And then when they took me back home, I was like, oh, I'm gay. And couldn't remember anything of it and was put to bed. And then the next morning I woke up and it was all like, oh, you said some really scary things. You know, you said that you were gay. And I was just like... And this is my mum who was sat at the foot of my bed when I woke up. In those moments that feel like they're 100 years, I was like, should I lie? Should I tell the truth? What should I do? Mm. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I need to just tell her. And I was like, it's true. And she was like, well, your dad's going to have something to say about this. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then I hid upstairs for like a good two hours after that until I knew that I had to go downstairs. And I went downstairs because I had no recollection of any of it happening because mm-hmm. I was so... I used to drink so much that I would forget a lot of the time as well, which I think was a coping mechanism at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and I went downstairs and he just was like very scientific about everything, really stripped the romantic ideas that I had about <laughs> my life away from me to be very scientific and, you know, sexualizing everything. And it just made me feel really disgusting. And I just like didn't, I just thought to myself, do you know what? I've told you, I've neither confirmed nor denied I'm not going to live my life in like the shadows anymore, but I'm also going to be respectful for you because I understand that you're probably not getting this. So I felt like I was more in an enlightened position than he was. So I was like, do you know what? That's fine. I can leave you be. I can live my life. And I did to a certain extent, but obviously it meant that I didn't start dragging until a lot later than mm. I probably have done if I was living away from home. And God knows what my life would have been like if I had moved out at 20, like I'd Planned. And then, so the second time you came out to him, yeah, to talk to me about that. Oh gosh, he was just making all kinds of, uh, I don't know why, but just at a dinner making all these terrible, unprompted comments about like gay people, and I was just like, it, I just snapped, and I was like, you do know that I'm gay, right? And then he was like, yeah, well, I had an idea, <laughs> 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 and it was lots of shouting at one another. <laughs> and then crying on one another and and I really felt like oh gosh like you know I had this real sort of like deep remorse for the 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 lost yeah 19 years of a relationship I could have had with him you know just made me really really like upset about it and to the point where I I couldn't even talk to my mum for a month I had like a Mm. month of just like not being able to talk to her properly because I felt like in some way she'd contributed to that loss, you know, even Mm. though she'd done absolutely nothing. (laughs) But even then, maybe by doing nothing that, you know, it was all very like, and I couldn't deal with it. And then, yeah, and I was worried. I was like, oh shit, I should go over there and I should be more involved now after this because I need to make it as normal as possible for him. But we're fine now. But then, you know, this is only like last year. And then, but you lived with him for your whole twenties, and you like never my whole life came my whole home life. with a glittery jock strap. Like, <laughs> surely there were lots and lots of clues. Um, no, I've, I've missed something out because I did say to him that I was gay on that morning when I was nineteen. Because he said, "How can you be gay, John? You've got pictures of Madonna, Kylie, <laughs> Marilyn Monroe, Lara Croft, Pamela Anderson on the bedroom wall. What are you talking about, mate? They're all beautiful women." And I was like. <laughs> I was like, Dad, they're like gay icons. Like You're not seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, honestly, it was just like that. It was it was crazy. And that's when I realised, I, I remember now, I remember in that moment, I was like, okay, you're not ready for this. You're de-romanticising everything that I kind of hold dear about myself and my identity and you're stripping away and trying to turn these women that I absolutely love and admire and want to be <laughs> into something that I don't want. I don't want to do that to them. I'm not in that. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin. I want to be their backup dancer. Honestly, <laughs> I'm like, I want Kylie's ass. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so let's go back to this conversation about drag. And so yeah. you were talking about, I'm getting really bossy now. You're fine, you're anyway, fine. It's fine. Anyway. It's good for me because I talk at, at tangents <laughs> and at length. So it's like. So, so you had these experiences of dressing up. You were always fascinated by these old school glamorous women on the television. And then at some point you were like, do you know what? Maybe I am going to try drag. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. Well, when I would go out, I used to go and hang out with all of the drag queens as well. I used to be like one of these people that they used to think was just some weird little person that was trailing them around. I would go to all of the different venues and see all the different shows and befriend them. And like, I used to go and sit at the door and and talk to whoever the queen was that was on the door of the nightclub for a good hour before my train to go home. And at this like, stage, were you toying with the idea or was this just like, I just really like no, those performers? No, I feel like, do you know what it was? It's almost like, I don't know if you watch like JoJo's Bizarre Adventures, but like no. they've got these people that have these powers, they're called stands and stand users are drawn to one another. And I feel like when you're a drag performer, you have a stand. Taylor Trash is my stand. She's this powerful all-being creature. And I'm being drawn to other people's drag personas. I had no idea. 
I, maybe I did subconsciously. I don't know. But at the time, I just wanted to be a part of that world. Uh-huh. I just loved everything that it was about. And it wasn't really until like RuPaul's Drag Race, of course. She's got a lot to answer for. Honestly, I remember downloading torrents off the internet to be able to watch the episodes and like... Then we'd go to uh, friends' houses and we'd watch them and everybody would start to dress up in drag to watch Aww. shows. Like all these like East London gays, like in Smithy's wigs, you know, and like Primark heels. We were just like, <laughs> we were just all started to dress up like that. And as somebody who used to go out clubbing with these people and we would be dressed up as pirates or ghosts or whatever, like, you know, cowboys, to sort of go into the world of drag, it wasn't that far away or far removed from what we were doing before mm-hmm. and it was a, it was a great sort of safe space for us to be able to uh experiment and to sort of find ourselves and like i used to just go out dressed up for, for a night out just anyway just as well a friend of mine invited me to this night i don't want to jump too far ahead in case i am i jumping Where, where's your hair? <laughs> so you would go out dressed up in drag or would you just go out dressed up I would you go know, out dressed like, in drag. But but when was the point where you were like, yeah, I want to do drag? Was it after you would go out dressed in drag? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's like I always wanted to do it subconsciously. I can't really... I, I remember the first time I actually did it was for a Halloween party at university. But that was still not the moment. When was the moment? <laughs> what do you mean? Like the Taylor Trash Inception moment? Well, just like, yeah, this is something I'm going to do. I am a drag queen. Hear me roar. Okay, this is it then. A friend of mine had this club night that they were starting and it was off of the back of the idea that people were going to houses and watching Drag Race and dressing up in drag. And they were like, well, instead of dressing up in drag at home, why don't we create a club night where everybody gets to dress up in drag in a club? And I went down there and I was in like a blonde Farrah Fawcett Smithies wig on. (laughs) And um, I had like a white vest and then like a check shirt that was like my own and uh, some hot pants. And um, the guy at the bar went to me, what have you come as? Trailer trash. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) that's going to be my name. (laughs) And then I just started doing the accent because I always say if anyone had asked me, what's your name? I'd have been like, well, it's John. I wouldn't have been like, oh, yeah, it's Chi Chi LaRue or whatever. I wouldn't have had those kind of ideas. I'd have just been like, it's 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 John. John. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, like, I think that was the moment because I was like, oh, God, I've been dressing up and doing all these other different characters and all these different things and, you know, dressing up as, like, Mary Portis for a night out. (laughs) You know, things like this. And getting to this point where I was like, oh, actually, I could do this and I could be this one character. And then... I just invested in that character because people tended to respond really well to it. When I'd go out, I would dress up in the same outfit or similar clothes and really started leaning into this idea of what, like, trailer trash is. Um, and Are we allowed and, to say trailer trash or is that, like, not appropriate? I think people, some people consider it a slur, Um but then I'm anyway, like, anyway, know? anyway, I've just gone off topic. So just ignore <laughs> that. So that was it then. You were just like, yes, I'm going to do this. Yeah. It encouraged me to explore that side of myself. And what was the feeling? It's amazing. I felt like I could literally just go up to people and talk to them without people thinking that I'm a weirdo or that I'm trying it on with them. It sort of just gave me free license to actually be able to talk to people and I've always, always loved meeting new people. I'm the kind of person that you could chuck into a room of 100 people and by the end of it, I would have spoken to every single last person. Oh, that sounds horrible to me. Uh, So I love that. I mean, I might not be able to remember everybody's names, but I would have an understanding of who they were and I would remember them when I saw them again. And then that's always really nice too. But what is the feeling like here in the stomach or here in the heart of being like, yes, I am a drag queen? I don't know. I just feel powerful, I guess. Is that the feeling? <laughs> no, you're telling me. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. I've never thought of it before. I've never really given it much thought. But what, why does it bring you joy? Uh, I think because it's escapism. It unlocks something. Like, as a child, I was like a soprano singer. 
And I was, again... Give us a bit. Uh, now? I mean, <laughs> I have got quite a, a wide range, but... <laughs> come on, come I ain't on. got no vocal warm-up. <laughs> oh, fine, fine. Anyway, so you were a child soprano. But yes, I was, and I used to sing a lot, and I was obviously bullied by the children at the time because of that, and they and also as a soprano singer, it's very like, oh, very high range. Yeah, yeah. So then people would be like, oh, you're a girl, associating anything like that with like being girl and that's feminine blah, blah 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 and you know i always had that the want to sing the only other thing that felt like self-expression for me was like painting but singing was always the number one and drag gave me the license to be able to sing without feeling this is such deep psychological stuff now because i'm actually sitting here thinking to myself oh my gosh like everybody bullied me so bad for singing and i was just myself that now the drag is like the shield. It's like me singing behind the curtain, but you can't see it's me that's doing it. If I had to sing as myself on a stage, I would not do it. Isn't that interesting? I would not do it because I've been so damaged by the experiences of the past, I think. I couldn't do that. But drag allows me to, to, to get on stage and to do that and to sing. But I don't sing in my own voice. I sing in her voice, you know? like Oh. It's never really me you know even though it's me that's making it it's never really me singing so like very rarely ever get to hear Mm. me do that and that is taking away your vulnerability right like if people don't like what i'm performing it's not about me it's about my character absolutely and i write parodies as well so i'm guaranteed that people are gonna laugh at what i'm singing about you know Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I say I'm guaranteed. The majority of times, people do laugh at the material. <laughs> well, I didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, not at the time, the majority of people do laugh. And I think that that is also the other thing as well, is like uh, a way that I navigated like my childhood in school with people bullying me was if I could make people laugh and I was funny, people would like me. So I think that yeah. psychologically, that's what I was also doing with the choices that I've made for the drag vehicle. You know, mm. when I talk about it and think about it, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. But you're going to like fuck up your back with wearing those shoes. Oh, my back is ruined Maybe. anyway. I've got scoliosis and degenerative disc disease. So it's fine. So it's it's like, happening. Whatever. Exactly. At least I'm going to look fabulous doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. No fucks to give. <laughs> anyway, so... We started with you in university and then we went all the way around the houses and talked about a lot of other things. Now let's go back to university when you were like, "Uh uh-huh, I liked it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Actually, maybe we've already covered everything that I want to cover here. No, what I want to cover here is the venue that we're here to talk about, which uh, maybe we should have brought up a bit earlier than now. But so at what point did you start going to the ghetto? Well... There were two friends of mine who grew up over the road from me and one of them wasn't working on a Saturday night and I was like, would you come into central London with me and like, can we like have a look at like Soho or something? And she was like, oh my God, yeah, fabulous, let's do it. And I went down with her and we went into a Coo Bar and we went in there and we had some drinks and there were flyers on the table for a ghetto and I was like, oh my God, this is a nightclub. And it says it's like round the corner. And she was like, oh, I'm not really like a nightclub person. And I was like, we're here now and it's like 9.30. It opened at 10 or something. I was like, oh my God, can we just go in for like an hour and go home on the last train? Like, I was like, please, 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 please. And she was like, okay, fine. And we went in and it was like my first ever like gay club experience was going to ghetto. And yeah, it was amazing. Like I was... And so, so it was a Saturday night. It was, yeah. It, Does that mean it was wig out? It was. It was. Oh. Amazing. Yeah, and I'm like, I'd never been in a club before in my life. Never been in a nightclub. It was just full of like loads of beautiful people and interesting people. And I remember it was all painted red, all of the walls. Mm. And then you could touch the ceiling and it was like wet with sweat. And um, (laughs) the toilets were always like an absolute mess. Uh, I love how you're saying this with a smile on your face. Like, oh, they were so awful. Um, yeah, well, I, re- <laughs> I remember once I got to I got to ghetto so early that the toilets were clean 
The floor wasn't wet and covered in toilet paper and the toilet was clean. I actually took a photo of it on my phone and I have it on an old phone somewhere. Um, so this first night then, you said your friend was a little reluctant to go. <laughs> Did she get into the swing of things or were you just like, see ya? Oh, we were there for like an hour. That was what was bargained. And as soon as it was like, time is up, it was like, time is up. And I was like, okay, then I've got to go. I'm not going to like not go oh, home. That's a good friend. And leave her. She Well, she'd come out with me to take me on this experience, you know, so... I'd sort of like taken the piss a bit by going, oh, let's try this club. Like, cause it was only supposed to be like a bar that we were going to, mm. you know? So we went back home. It was like an hour, but it was enough for me to be sort of like, hooked. I want more. I need to, I need mm. to see more of this, this world. Like I need to know more about it. That was it. And then obviously at university, when I met my friend Craig, we were there all the time. I used to go there like every day of the week. And ghetto was, was so much fun as well because every night that I went, it would appeal to a different crowd of people. Mm. Like so, so then, so then let me ask you that question. Why do you think ghetto was so special? Oh, um, it was so special because of all of the people that were there. Like the owners, the, the DJs, the music that they played, the different nights that they put on, the punters. The community? Yeah. Yeah, it really <laughs> was. It really was a community. Like, oh my well, gosh. Okay, like... so then... <laughs> What do you think Ghetto taught you about yourself? Oh, wow. Do you know what? It was funny because I used to go out to all of the different nights and I would dress up differently to suit this crowd that would be going to those nights. Mm. It was like a a, a rite of passage of self-discovery. Like, I love pop music. I am a handbag house queen I love my 90s dance, love my R&B as well. And, you know, I'm very commercial, I suppose. And some of the other nights weren't like that. Like, Nag 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 was like electro. Like, mm. I don't even know. Some of it was so fucking crazy to me because I was literally listening to Kylie most of the time. So sort of like being in an environment where it was all like... And just nuts. With basically everyone looking like they'd come from like Central St. Martin's. Like fashion, you know, like it was just really like nuts. And you know, I'd go and and hang out in the different nights in the same venue, so I felt the safety of the venue because I knew it and I knew the bar staff and whatever. Uh, it sort of helped me to sort of understand who I was, really. Mm. That's what I would say because I was like, okay, yeah, I actually do prefer the hardcore <laughs> pop nights. Oh, yeah, I did this test and it turns out I'm really gay. <laughs> yeah, honestly, honestly. I was like, no, I'm not really like a very alternative gay, you know, I'm not like that. But, like... but did you grow an emo fringe just to make sure? Oh, my God. I had like an asymmetrical fucking mullet <laughs> that was like blue. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, and we used to wear like T-shirts with like white leather skinny ties over oh, the white T-shirt. And a waistcoat? Like, was there a waistcoat? Oh, my God. I had a waistcoat. <laughs> yes. And I also had, I used to have like a, a, a velvet jacket. What was I doing going out in like a velvet jacket? To a nightclub. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's very yeah, like 2003 choice. fashion faux pas, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's what it taught you. Yeah, it did. It was sort of just like, you know, this is the kind of music that I like. This is sort of like the... And also, the the people that were going to those nights were how they were dressing as well, I guess. Because I was playing fancy dress every week, you know. I was dressing up like a punk on a Monday. Like <laughs> Tuesday, I was dressing like a twink. <laughs> Wednesday, I was dressing like an art student. It was like just trying to find where I fit in. And then I was like, yeah, okay, like um, I'm quite proud to just sort of dress like a, I don't know, like a, I don't know what, what I was dressing like. I don't know where I'm going. But I was like, oh, pop, I can wear a T-shirt and jeans and it's okay. I guess that's where I'm landing. Oh, but after everything you've said, it's like, oh, I'm just going to wear the most boring thing ever. <laughs> I know, and maybe it's because I realised that no one was actually looking at me and they were just going out to dance, Aww. you know? No, everyone was there to judge you. They were. Well, they are now. Yeah. <laughs> when totally. people are coming up to me and going, I can see your lace, and I'm just like... <laughs> Do people say that? <laughs> oh, I get little bitches come up to me all the time. I remember I was in the smoking area of, like, heaven, and this kid comes up to me and he's like, you really should learn how to blend. 
And I was just like, <laughs> and you should learn how to shut your fucking mouth because like that is totally unnecessary. And I really felt like I'd done a really good job. And I'm telling you, and this is a challenge for anyone that might be listening and is in the London area, come and check out my blend and tell me that it ain't blended. And then we'll have a chat because I know how to blend. Okay. All right. So then. I know you're totally down for this. I know you're the type of person that's going to love this question, even if it is super cheesy. Okay. But if we went back in time to that night where John was like, would you, would you come to this club with me? Like, we'll just go for an hour, please. And you saw him there waiting to queue up to get into ghetto. What advice would you give him? Oh, my gosh you know me so well yeah i am that kind of cheesy person um oh i'd be like right go to the gym (laughs) immediately don't ever smoke cigarettes don't drink as much start drag and don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about you and live your best life and Go to this motherfucking club every night while it's still open because one year it's going to get closed. And like for as many nights as I was there, I wish I'd gone more. And I think Mm -hmm. like a lot of people that actually got to go there and experience it feel the same way about it. It has a lot of uh, nostalgia for a lot of people and for good reason because, you know, friendships were made and it shaped a generation of queers. (laughs) Do you have any memories of ghetto or clubbing from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, please get in touch. I want to create the biggest online record of people's memories and stories of queer clubbing, but I need your help. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space to tell me all about what it is you got up to. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where my handle is Lost Spaces Pod. Find out more about Taylor by following her or him, him or her, them on Twitter or Instagram, where their handle is at Miss Taylor Trash, and that is Miss M I S not M S, just so we're clear. Or do yourself a favor and subscribe to her YouTube channel at Trash TV Official, so that you are all ready to watch the third series of The Gold Rush when it launches later this year. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you subscribed, left a review on your podcast platform, or just told other people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen to. My name is Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. Lost Spaces.